Hello and welcome to Locked On Astros, your daily Astros podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric the Man Heisman and Brett H-Town Wheelhouse Chansey. Welcome you to our daily Astros podcast. We hope that you listen Monday through Friday. I am H-Town Wheelhouse. You can find me at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter. You can find the show at Locked on Astros. And tonight, I'm joined by a special guest, our friend of the show, world champion, former Major League pitcher, Clay Hensley. Where can they find you? You can find me at chensley32 on Twitter, and you can follow me on Instagram at Clay Hensley. Pretty easy. Glad to be back on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. And let's just dive into the George Springer thing, because that is what is on the minds of all the Astros fans right now. I know the fall fall classic is going on, and we want to touch on that as well. So remember, when you get in your car, we want you to tell your smart device to play Locked on Astros. You can get us on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get a podcast, just check out Locked on Astros. Remember that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It is not just a protein bar, but it is also a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And right now, with the code locked on, you can get $10 off your first order. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code locked on for $10 off. So George Springer, he is at the end of his proverbial rookie deal. He is at the end of the collective bargaining um, with the team where they, they paid him the most that they've ever paid anybody on a qualifying offer this last year, COVID hits, Springer turns 30. He has become the perennial, the main guy that you look to for leadoff home runs, the signature Springer dinger. I want to know from your perspective as a former professional, someone who's been in contract negotiations, you've seen guys come and go from your teams. Um, Do you think Springer stands a good chance of staying in Houston because of all the various factors surrounding 2020 going into 2021 you know honestly um from a player's perspective i uh houston has never been one of the organizations and and especially most recently with uh the just young crop of players that they've developed and uh everybody's turned into exactly what they had hoped to uh whenever they put this stuff together and started the rebuild process you know five six years ago houston has always been one of the organizations that they're trying to win. It's an organization that does want to win. Now, sometimes decisions are made uh, in the off seasons, whether they kept somebody or they signed somebody else, uh, brought somebody in or whatnot, where that kind of, you know, made people scratch their heads. But look, the fact of the matter is, if you look at a lot of the off season moves that the Houston Astros have done, especially during uh, all the trials and tribulation that they've had to deal with, most specifically dealing with the scandal part, having to uh, unload a lot of the front office brass, a lot of the brass that brought some of these players to the big leagues, uh, drafting them and cultivating that whole process and, and creating that, that uh, the, I guess the ideology that everybody has bought into there. Um, they, they've overcome a lot of this stuff and it's always really become because a lot of the front office mainstays have still decided to try to do whatever it took to make the Astros uh, a, a competitive ball club to put out there on the field. I see them uh, keeping Springer. I also, from a player side of it, I see Springer staying because when you do, if you're lucky enough as a player to uh, hit the free agent market and be in an opportunity where you are having other teams bid on you, 
uh, that's where you, that's, that's kind of like where the first like milestone is as a player, you know, getting into a six year free agency or getting to a free agency standpoint to have teams bid on you in a positive manner, uh, as opposed to, you know, where you're searching for a, a job, but when you're a free agent and a perennial player as he is, and you have that opportunity, you all, you know, you're obviously looking to secure your family's, uh, you know, just, you know, foreseeable future financially, uh, to make sure, you know, as a, as a parent or as a man, as a, as a woman or whatever your role is, is in the family to, to take care of your family. That's the main thing that you try to do. So as a ball player, if you have the opportunity to do so, uh, that's the first kind of like checkbox uh, that you want to hit. The second one would be if you have the opportunity as a free agent to decide your own path and who you're going to be with, because you're that level of, you're that small percentage of the free agents that, a lot, that can actually do that, have teams bet on you. Then you start looking at a ball club that's not only going to give you financial security, but also is going to give you the best chance to get yourself back to the dance, get back to the postseason in the World Series. So I don't see a lot of ball clubs out there that uh, have that, ca that the capability of getting to the postseason. One. Uh, and two, I don't see the ball clubs out there that have the capability to get to the postseason and are also looking for a position that George Springer is going to end up filling. So that being said, you know, those are just two big caveats there that he, you know, probably ends up in a Hasbro's uniform next year. I do think that both sides of the table have got to be realistic and cognizant of the fact of what COVID-19 and the pandemic has done to the industry as well. Um, you know, there's been a tremendous loss of uh, revenue and it's not a cry wolf situation like it's been in the past where their owners are saying that they don't have money, they're broke, and this is why we can't sign our free agent, blah, blah, blah. Fact of the matter is there was a shutdown. There was no revenue coming in. So there is legitimacy in that argument coming from that side of the table. So on that, in that regard, you also have to be understanding that there's all the, all the other owners, owners, excuse me, all the other owners in Major League Baseball are filling this realistic pinch. They are filling this realistic loss of revenue. This isn't a bunch of owners colluding, getting together, saying that we're not going to spend money this year going into a collective bargaining agreement with the players association, nothing like that, or the players union, nothing like that is going on. There was a, there was an actual shutdown. So I think he stays. I think that uh, he's happy here. He is a leader of the ball club. It's his best chance to get back to the postseason and to walk into a locker room to where he is one of the leaders. He is a voice. He doesn't have to go out there and prove that intangible again. He's gotten better at that every year. So I think it'd be a win-win. I, I think at the end of the offseason, you're going to have something to feel good about that happened in 2020. Not only the Astros getting to the postseason again, almost making it to the World Series, but also signing their perennial player and having him don an Astros uniform for next season. All right. So you heard it here, the official word uh, from Locked on Astros. George Springer will be back. So we're hoping that George Springer, somebody gets this to him and he hears it. And, and he's like, you know what? After hearing um, Clay Hensley and, you know, H-Town Wheelhouse discuss where and, you know, I should go that he stays in Houston. And, and you know, um, I, I will not take credit. I'll give all the credit to Clay. Um, and I will take full credit of this. Okay. So just awesome. so you know, Astros, if he stays, it's because of what I just said. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm kidding. But hey, think about this though, real quick. Yeah, he's been here a while. Okay, look, and he's got roots here. That 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 says something, you know. And the the type of dollars that he would be maybe leaving on the table, perhaps if that was a situation from another ball club, are nominal at this point of that level of contract. So he's got a home here. The guy can go to the gas station, and people can know who he is. He's a leader of the city, leader of this ball club, one of yeah. the leaders of the ball club. He's got a face here. 
a lot of things that need to be proven on other ball clubs uh, won't have to be done, and he's got his best chance to win. So that's why that's why I, I think those are going to be probably the biggest key factors for him to stay. Yeah, and, you know, I think there are, there are some other things, too. I don't know. I would just like to think from my perspective, um, maybe not just as an analyst, but also as a fan of this team, um, I think it would be nice for the Astros with someone like Springer and Altuve and Bregman still here and Correa hopefully getting extended, that it would be great for those guys to get back to the World Series. It would be really good for them to win a World Series, to win to win another one because we all know the fog and the smoke from 17. So with that being said, I think those are definitely good vibes. I know there's a lot of Astros fans that are pessimistic, um, mainly because Springer hasn't really wanted to address it. He says, well, we'll cross that bridge when he come to it, and he, and he hasn't come out and committed. That's great. That's but what you I want think, from a player. Yeah, you don't want – because if he says, oh, yeah, I'm here, then the Astros know we don't have to offer him much because he wants to be here. And so, not, not even necessarily that. It just shows yeah. to me more focus on what he's doing right now. We'll talk okay. about that when we cross that bridge right now. we got to go win some ball games, And that's what I like to hear, and I'm sure that's what the front office is like in here as well. Definitely, definitely. So let's let's talk about this fall classic, the Dodgers, the Rays. The Rays beat the Astros, but you've got, you know, everybody was crying about the playoffs and how they expanded playoffs and the Astros were under 500 and they got there and all these things. But you ended up with the two number one seeds in the World Series, the Dodgers from the National League, the Rays from the American League. The Dodgers took care of business in game one. Mookie Betts became like this, Super earn his money, earn now. his money. <laughs> yes, earn his money, stealing, you know, he's stealing bases, giving people free tacos. Everybody, you know, Mookie Betts is now like a household name if he wasn't before. Outside of Boston, I think some people knew about him outside of the, you know, sports world. But now that you're in L.A., you got the big lights shining on you. So they took command of game one. Um, their pitching did the job. Clayton Kershaw got the proverbial playoff monkey off his back, pitched a great game. And then the Rays kind of came down to earth. Then you switch to game two. The Rays come in. They get 10 hits. They score six runs. They only have seven strikeouts. The Dodgers had 15 strikeouts. They only had five or six hits. And the role was flipped. So now, Clay, we're tied one game to one, okay? Um, and Walker Bueller doesn't go in game two. Dave Roberts goes with the somewhat questionable um, position of putting his team in a bullpen game in game two. And there's a lot of people wondering, why wasn't Walker Bueller there? What happened? Um, do we have any insight on that? You know, I, I, I'm not really sure as to, you know, we, we, we were kind of discussing this earlier um, about him not getting a nod. And, you know, what was the reasoning for that? You know, it's by, by no, no stretch of the imagination is Dave Roberts trying to extend this to game seven. Uh, every manager is out there trying to get this thing as done as quickly as possible because you don't also expose your entire roster, which that's one of the things that Tampa Bay is good at, which is why they're succeeding, though. Um, the, with, in terms of Bueller, I don't really understand what the reasoning was for him not to go today. Maybe it was a blister that has flared up, um, you know, but he is going to be going. Uh, uh, it looks like he's going to be the probable starter for game three. Against Morton. Now you got two studs right there that are going to be going the head to head, uh, which in my mind, which almost seems like two aces again, uh, going right after it and what they've done in the postseason. Um, their numbers are, are astounding in the postseason. Like, I mean, sub one and a half, sub, you know, ERAs 
uh, everybody's punching tickets. And, um, you know, it's been fun to watch, watch those two pitch respectively in each of their own ball games throughout the series. But having the day off um, and then uh, being pushed back, you know, maybe I, I got to believe there's, there's a blister issue. I got to believe there's an issue that has to do something that, with the health. Not necessarily saying an arm issue, or, you know, in that terms of health, but I'm just saying having the going out there feeling 100%. Um, blisters uh, from a guy that throws a lot of four-seam fastballs uh, for strikeouts, you know, getting a lot of swings and misses on that, relies on that. That's a lot of pressure if you have a blister on any of your pitching fingers. So I got to believe that's what, what the reason why he didn't uh, end up going uh, on game two. But it looks like he's primed and ready to go for game three. And I think maybe that two days of extra added rest uh, around the clock, maybe uh, servicing that finger, which I've had to have it happen to me many a times when I was pitching, um, could be the reason. But at this stage right now, they're they're being pretty mum about it. They don't want a lot of information to get out. So that's pretty much it. And hey, you know, honestly, it could be several things. Could be the finger, or he could be missing something. He could be hungry. That when he gets that built bar, that he'll be ready to go for game three <laughs> because it is the premier protein bar on the market. It tastes like a candy bar, Clay. I'm telling you, they're wrapped in 100% chocolate. And they're not like these massive protein bars that you're taking in like five, 600 calories. I mean, they're 130 calories, 150 calories. They've got tons of protein, between 17 and 19 grams of protein, only four average of four, four grams of net carbs and only four grams of sugar per bar. They're great for the healthy, conscious guy and girl. They're, if you want to lose or maintain weight, they're perfect for that. Well, and you know, the other thing too is maybe if he would have been eating one of these built bars, he wouldn't have missed that start. So we'll find out. We can find out in the locker room on that one if you got your package. Yes, yes, sir. Definitely. And so I want my I want the listeners right now to locked on Astros, go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on. You'll get 20% off your first order. If you order now while supplies last, you'll get a cool little cooler pouch. We like to chill ours. We put ours in the fridge. I eat at least one built bar a day. I wish I could eat three or four, but we know everything's great in moderation. So go to builtbar.com and use a promo code locked on. Now, with that being said, um, we're, we're talking about Walker Bueller going game three. We're talking about Uncle Charlie going in game three against Walker Bueller. Um, he looked absolutely dominant. I don't know that I felt really ever until Charlie Morton left the game and that game seven against the Astros that the Astros had a chance against him. He, he just, he, he, it's just something about him. He's calm. He's cool. He's collect. Now he's got a filthy sinker. That's what it is about him. <laughs> he does. Now you said that you learned some things from the late great Roy Halladay. I believe Charlie Morton also possibly learned some things. Was Charlie Morton and Halladay connected at all? Um, yes out in the Phillies. And so he probably took some things from Roy Halladay, I believe, throughout his career, just maybe. Well, he took his entire delivery. I don't know if you've seen some of the side-by-side side by side split screens uh, that, you know, at the time when uh, it was in Philly, there was discussion about this because, I mean, if you would have just taken a quick glance at the mound from the field and, you know, whether it was Morton throwing or whether it was Halladay throwing, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, the timing, uh, the way that Halliday, uh, his delivery was the way he, he kept his, uh, you know, his chest, his upper body over his, his front leg when he was thrown, which is a key thing, uh, as a sinker guy that you, you need to do. The last thing you want to do is flare back, which is what Charlie Morton was doing prior to his time with Roy Holiday. I mean, 
I, I would say that I, I wasn't sitting in the conversations, but based on how the deliveries look, I can tell you and anybody else can tell you that's in the game with 100% certainty that Roy Holiday did uh, take him under his wing and mentor him. And that's kind of when his career started to take off. And that's the reason, you know, like if you, um, I always like to look at uh, um, uh, guys that threw power sinkers, uh, Martinez, Pedro Martinez was one that I would, I would literally watch his starts before I started because we had a lot of similarities in arm angles and stuff. And I like to see how he attacked pitch or attacked hitters, uh, some of his sequences and pitches and what he did as a far setting up lineups. Um, and, you know, I still think he might've been taller than me. So it was kind of like, Hey, another short guy throwing hard down from the low three quarters. I'm going to watch, you know, and that's kind of what Morton did with holiday. You know, uh, holiday was one of those guys that, if you're willing to learn, he's willing to, you know, open up the book and teach it, you know, which was great. It was a great mentorship that they had with each other. I mean, in the outfield during BP, they were next to each other. So you knew that he took him under his wing and that he, he was listening and he did listen. And it's turned into a pretty, pretty nice career for him uh, because of that. And I'm, and I'm sure if you ask Charlie right now, he would think a lot of the successes that he's had uh, to, uh, to Roy Holiday and, and what he taught him, you know, there's a handful of guys I could think of the same thing that helped me extend my career as well as a pitcher and as a player. So um, you know, when you look at what he's doing on the mound and, you know, to go back on what you're saying, like, you feel like sometimes he just is, you just something about him. You don't know what it is, but you just get, get nervous for, as an Astros fan watching them play. It's because he has such a good sinker. He has good off speed stuff. And whenever you're deadly as a power sinker guy, or you have a good, you know, uh, sinker that has a lot of depth more so than run to it, you can throw that ball down the middle. And when you start seeing him, get in and out of uh, innings, you know, under double digits, you know, whether he's throwing nine pitches or even 10 pitches, he's pitching to contact. And at the same time, also striking guys out, you know that he's on his game. And that's when I get nervous if I was on the other side of the field, because he can throw it down the middle and he's pitching to contact and we're hitting a ground ball outs and he's putting guys away in a, uh, in very efficient manner. So his efficiency and his strike to ball ratio is something that you could key on early in this game three, uh, and see if, if he's going to have a successful night or not. Yeah, definitely. I actually happened to catch a interview that I was just reminded of that Mark Berman from Fox 26 did with Brent Strom. He did a, I guess, like a Zoom interview, kind of like you and I are doing. And he was talking about the future of the Astros, and that was kind of the topic. And um, he namely talked about um, Frember Valdez and Christian Javier and how he sees those guys being um, easily one and two starters for the Astros in the future. And, you know, Framber Valdez, the way that he's been able to calm down the movement on his ball. I mean, we've mentioned it before, not to be the dead horse, but, you know, I'm sorry, but when Mike Trout tells, tells you or tells the media that this guy's got the best curve or the best action on his curveball that he's ever seen, then everybody else needs to take notice. And, Framber just had to get the mental aspect of the game. Um, talk to us about pitching in a World Series and even being a Charlie Morton or even these high-level guys. What kind of mindset does a pitcher go into when they start? Is it just another game or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, what is different well, about being in the World Series? You, you, you turn it – okay, so – to kind of bring it a little bit in, I guess, a description of what it's like when you're playing just major league baseball in general. Uh, it's a dream come true without a doubt. Don't get me wrong. That's one of when you get drafted, that's what you're doing. And you've been working for that through high school, college and all. 
um, and you have an opportunity to go to the big leagues. Um, but you find out very quickly that this is a business and you start to lose a little bit of that, that, that feeling that you had when you were a kid of lacing it up and, you know, calling your shots and I'm so-and-so and big piece of gum in your mouth, trying to pretend you're, you know, whatever hitter or whatever pitcher that kind of fades quickly. You know, it really does. And you, it, it becomes a business and it, you start to realize it definitely eat what you kill. Um, and then it becomes even more of a business whenever you start having a family and you've got to, you have others relying on you. Um, so, the only times that you kind of feel that like feeling that you had when you were a kid or that dream that you had where it's like, oh man, is, you know, when you're actually out there on the field playing you know, and everything else outside of that becomes business oriented. So take that a step, not, uh, a tick up higher in that sensation that you had when you were a kid and that dream you wanted to achieve of being in the big leagues and hopefully going to world series that comes back to life when you get to the world series is what I'm saying. That's the best part about it. Then you start to, it feels like opening day, rookie year, like you're looking around, you're like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe we're actually here. We have a chance to do something in history that, you know, that has been, there's been a process to get to this point since I was five, is what you're thinking as a player. So it becomes super fun again. Uh, it's a rah-rah moment, you know, for everybody. Everybody is excited to play the game. And then when you get out there, you have the nerves running through you of like, oh my God, I'm here. But then you have a very quick thought that comes back that says, wait a minute. I've been here this whole time. I've thrown this distance off this mound before. I've ran these bases before. I've fielded this ball and let's do this. And you take a breath and relax. Now, some people can do that a little bit quicker than others. Some people can't. Uh, I think in terms, when you talk about Valdez, I think that he did a great job in terms of uh, keeping his composure, not letting the game unravel on him. You know, one of the benefits I think of this whole COVID situation in terms with Major League Baseball and the playoffs is that there isn't the fan base there, which that does play a big piece of it. I mean, there's a difference between giving up a knock in the World Series and, uh, you know, you being upset about giving up a hit because they moved a runner over as opposed to giving up that same knock and then moving that runner over with the entire stadium erupting to where you can't even hear yourself think. So there is a big difference in that. And I think that where you talk about some of the younger pitchers that Houston's talking about maybe having on their front line as starters going into the next season, this is probably beneficial for them because they were able to go to the dance and they've been in a situation in these playoffs without a fan uh, base there, um, you know, a home field advantage or, you know, and, and whatnot. So it kind of gives them a little chance to kind of ease into this a little bit. Now going into next season, uh, they have some of that veteran postseason experience, so to speak, at a very young age. Um, you know, I think that it's too young to really kind of give a, uh, an idea on what, what's going to happen with a lot of these stars because there's just still so much baseball to have uh, before you can really kind of get the book out on somebody in terms of this is a frontline starter and this isn't. I think that he showed great composure in, in terms of Valdez showing great composure and poise in playoff situations uh, when it meant a lot for the organization and the city as a whole to kind of get that black iron stain off, which I think they did. I think Houston did do that in the playoffs. So, um I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of a lot of positives to look at when you look at some of these younger starters. But I still think there's a lot of time also that remains to be seen on what they're really going to do over the full season. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, when you it's almost like as a fan, you want to complain about oh, it was only 60 games. But you know what? I mean, we got 60 games. Um, we got an expanded playoff. Um, maybe it wasn't ideal. Maybe what did you think about that real quick, though? What did you think about the expanded, expanded playoffs? Um, I, I actually liked it. Um, you know, 
I tend to be somewhat of what they call like a baseball purist. Like I like the, I like the game to stay the way it is. I don't mind there being a DH in the American league and, and a, and the pitchers hit in the national league. I just think that's kind of how it's always been. Yeah. Um, I kind of liked it. Now, I don't know that during a 162 game season, I don't know that you're going to be rewarding a sub 500 team, a playoff spot. And I think that's, that's people's concern. I think you give more time because you take, you, you still got 102 more games to play. Right. And so I think if you expand the playoffs and you were to keep it, or even just add a couple more teams, you give more teams, more ball clubs, more markets, more to think about the entire season, because you and I know that, I mean, I mean, obviously the Baltimore's the Seattle's and those guys that are kind of at the bottom don't really have a shot, but when you got your up and coming Padres, you got the White Sox, you got all these clubs that are young, the Blue Jays, you've got more of an opportunity for these other clubs to really show up in the playoffs. You know, I remember when the Astros went to the playoffs in 2015 and Carlos Correa was a rookie and Carlos Correa was asked by the media, what's it like being here in New York against the Yankees? They had a one game playoff in the wild card, which I hate a one game playoff. You know, you have one game, you're, you're in Yankee stadium. What are you feeling today? Are you nervous? He goes, why would I be nervous? He said, I've been preparing for this my entire life. I've been preparing this, yeah. this since I was six. When I heard that, I like still get goosebumps thinking about him saying that because like, how do you as a rookie say that about playing the Yankees and the Yankees in 2015, they didn't have a good team. I mean, that guys like Greg Bird starting, they didn't have the Aaron. It's Jones. a show. It's a, it's a show though. You're in New York. Right. right. It is a show. What I'm saying is, is it, it wasn't like, you know, the traditional Bronx bombers is what I'm saying. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was still Yankee stadium. It was still the playoffs. And he was like, Hey, that's, this is what I was born for. And you love to see that. I don't mind expanded playoffs. Um, I, now, do you believe? Do you believe him when he said that, though? Because on my mind, you know, yes. what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm believing delusionally optimistic, like we talked oh, about before. Yeah. You have to be, because anybody in their normal mind is absolutely going to be nervous. Uh, but he is correct in saying that. You know, he's correct in saying that. You know, I've been preparing for this my whole life, which we have as as ball players. That's the moment that you prepare for. You think about it when you're five and you made it. You got there. Nerves are there, um, but scared, that's different. That's a different topic. And I think whenever you're talking about fans asking questions like that or even reporters asking questions like that to a young player, they're more thinking of more of like, are you scared to be here? And absolutely not, you know, but, you know, it, deep inside, yeah, there's nervous. But that nerve is what drives you. That's what you feed off of. So well, I, think, I, I like that. Right. I, and I, I think if you're not nervous or I think if you're not somewhat humbled by it, then – you're not there human. Yeah. You've got, you've got maybe, maybe some other issues that you probably need to work on off. Yeah. Yep. You're not there. Every guy, you talk to a guy that's been there 20 years and he's still nervous. It's just bottom yeah. line. That's just, that's all part of it. So if you, if you don't have the nerves and you don't have the passion, chances are you're probably not there. So, well, you know, I, believe, I, I, I believe Craig Biggio would say that, you know, he would get butterflies in his stomach before, you know, every game, every, every game, every game we all did every game and you don't want to go out. You want to go out there and win, man. That's what yeah. it's all about. Exactly. All eyes are on you, um, especially in the world series. And I think even, even with the game one being like the lowest rated um, regardless, now they have fans there. And 
I, I think that's an added plus. Um, I think that's, I really think that's why they put the world series in Texas because they knew they'd be able to have fans. You know, you've got your Florida team, you got your California team, but they're playing in Texas. Right. Um, you know, and I don't know if you saw this, but someone posted a image, um, a picture of Globe Life Field. And they're like, this park is beautiful. And I, I like retweeted it because I was like, this looks like Minute Maid Park. <laughs> That's been the <laughs> stadium is it looks like, like, um, it looks like Minute Maid Park on steroids, but it's definitely good to have baseball. And, you know, Clay, I do appreciate you joining Locked on Astros. We have enjoyed your perspective. And um, we really hope that you continue to come back and be a part of this show because your insight and your experience is indelible. It's second to none. It's it kind of it's like what I wish I had. But I know we all come at life from from different points and different perspectives. And if everybody had the same perspective, life would be boring and dull. <laughs> right. So Eric well, Eric's not here with us um, on this show. He'll be with us tomorrow. We will interview. Um, actually, if you're listening today, he'll be with us. And our next show, we will host. Um, Jake Kaplan from The Athletic, the um, Houston writer for The Athletic. He does a great job. We'll get to pick his brain in the offseason. Um, so going forward, let's end the show with this. Who do you think takes the World Series? You know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm impartial because I just like – I got some personal relationships on the Dodger side, you know, with Dave Roberts and stuff, being an old teammate. I'd like to see him win it. Um, you know, I, I just, I do love the grittiness of the fight out of Tampa Bay. You know, it feels like it's like indicative of my career, you know, always kind of like counted out, but always proven, uh, somehow coming through with it. And I, and I, I appreciate that kind of play. I appreciate that the way everybody's kind of stepping up on that ball club. So, um, I, I think Tampa's going to end up edging it out just for the pure grit that they have throughout their lineup and their staff. Uh, you know, cash can fill in anybody, uh, you know, from the pitching staff in any, any position or, or any part of the rotation or any part of the game for that matter. I think everybody's uh, there's no roles there that are set, which is huge in having that ability. So that gives cash that opens up the ability for him to kind of do some things that typically most teams can't, as you can see with some of that going on with uh, Los Angeles. So I see Tampa edging it out, but Hey, I'd like to just say thanks, you know, for the comments just then. Um, it seems like you might be talking about someone else because <laughs> I don't know about the insight uh, being second to none, but I do appreciate that because I think that what happens is, is um, you, you know, especially in media and, and when you're dealing with some of the interviews and, and people that you have to talk to a lot of, a lot of people have to be so uh, PC in terms of what they're saying because of their particular positions of whatever organization or ball club that you're interviewing. So uh, I try to stay away from a lot of that and just try to kind of bring a little bit of uh you know what it's like to kind of be one of the guys that's not a Cy Young Award winner, but was able to kind of stick around a little bit. So uh, those challenges are what most of the challenges that a lot of the ball players deal with. Um, and, you know, just kind of have a little fun with it. I appreciate you guys having me on. I always love coming on. Um, and hopefully uh, we'll be back again soon. Yes, sir. Definitely. We will. And Clay, tell them real quickly one more time where they can find you on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at chensley32 and follow on Instagram at Clay Hensley. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Clay, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Go to Locked On MLB and check out our pal Sully. Also, check out Locked On Rays. Um, Ulysses does a great job, and check out Locked On Dodgers. Um, Jeff Snyder, they've currently got the top MLB um, Locked On podcast going on. Everything you need, every sport, 
you can check out Locked On on any device, just about any place you get a podcast. Apple, Google, Spotify. I'm H. Sean Wheelhouse. Thanks again. And always go Astros. Cheers. All right. That was 31 minutes and 23 seconds. Cool. Did you get, did you record it? So it, it, it is actually still recording. Um, so I was going to say, you should put it on locked on Astros and make sure to have that record button locked on too, when you're doing it.